0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like? To what can I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that a man took and planted in the garden. When it was fully grown, it became a large bush, and the birds of the sky dwelt. In its branches. Again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of wheat flour until the whole batch of the dough was leavened. The Gospel of the Lord. At first glance, our readings today seem to be speaking of very different things. And yet there is a very, very strong connection between them. St. Paul articulates this remarkable vision of the groaning of creation. Not the groaning of the earth, the groaning of the entire cosmos that the universe itself knows something of a longing. And he's not merely personifying inanimate matter when he speaks that way. He is reminding us of the intrinsic connection between the creation and the fall of man and the creation and the fall of the universe itself. What a remarkable series of expressions that there is a longing in creation for the manifestation of the children of God, that would be you. What an odd way of thinking that somehow the universe longs to see something that has been given to us. And why? Because creation is subject, St. Paul says, to corruption. And what is corruption but the undoing of what is there? Something begins fresh, but it grows old, it becomes stale, it decays, it crumbles. Much like the dry leaves falling off of these trees. Beautiful for a moment, they fall, their freshness leaves them, their brightness leaves them. They are reduced to dust. All things in this world pass and come to an end. And it's important to recognize that as much as we romanticize that life continues, and that there's a certain futility, a certain falling into the undoing of things that marks created reality. And created reality was not made to be unmade. Was not made to be undone. And so Paul speaks about, in a sense, this longing in the universe itself for how it was originally supposed to be. Brilliant. Beautiful. Enduring. And how that is related to us. Because he says, creation is subject to futility by the one who subjected it, not by itself. And what does he mean by that? In stretching out their hand to the tree in the Garden of Eden, our parents brought death, brought corruption, brought the unmaking of things, which is the very essence of the damage of sin, into the world, not just onto themselves, but onto everything. And the redemption of creation, The making new of creation is related to the redemption, the making new of man. Imagine that, that your salvation and my salvation is related to the universe in which we live in that remarkable way. Now, creation itself groans. Note the expression not passively waits, but groans, wondering when the day will come, when that freedom of the children of God will truly manifest itself. And if we pause on that idea, we see something that is very important for our contemporary day, where we as a people are often very preoccupied with environmental matters, and ecological matters, and concern for the earth. And that is a fine preoccupation. That is a fine concern. But St. Paul reminds us that the making new of creation is not merely a matter of recycling programs. It is not merely a matter of using less plastic. It is not merely a matter of renewable energy, however laudable these goals may be. Because the man who seeks to renew creation without moral renewal in his heart will always leave creation wanting more. How easily it is to disconnect these realities that we are part of creation and creation is ordered to us. And if man is content to live in disorder, to reject the freedom of the gospel, to cling to slavery, to sin, to slavery, to corruption. All he really has to offer is prolonging the unmaking of things. However wonderful his ideas sound. And if we're honest and we look at other areas of life besides ecological concerns, we see the same thing. It is one thing to advocate for justice, but if my heart is corrupt, what will I produce? And what will I bring? Notice the importance of that and the power of that. And as St. Paul speaks that way, he speaks then of the power of the transformation of the human heart in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ to have an impact not just on myself, to have an impact not just on the people with whom I interact, but quite literally upon the universe in which I live. And creation is longing for that, he says. That there's something about redemption which is not reducible to us, but it also involves the world in which we find ourselves, including the distant stars that we see in the night sky. Because we believe that in the incarnation, God himself did not simply become man in a way that's disconnected from everything else, but he entered into the very creation that he had made. What a remarkable gift that is. What a remarkable reality, and why? Because this then, this human life that Jesus took, rising from the dead, is a sign that creation itself would one day be free of its corruption, made new in some glorious and mysterious way that we can't understand on this fallen side of eternity. And that that renewal of the world, the new heavens and earth for which we hope and look, is directly connected to the renewal of our own lives. And in speaking that way, note that the groaning of which St. Paul is writing is not merely a groaning of pain. It is not merely a groaning of frustration. It is a groaning toward hope because a promise has been made and it must be fulfilled. This is why St. Paul continues about the importance of hope. Hope, which is a matter of looking forward to something that we expect, that we desire, but do not have. It is one of the greatest and most misunderstood and most neglected of all the great virtues. We speak of the three things that will last, faith, hope, and love. But we rarely talk of hope, do we? We say very much about faith, and very much about love, and very little about hope. It seems mysterious. There's something slippery about it. The great French poet uh, Charles Peggy wrote a poem about the theological virtues, faith, hope and love, and he compared them to a family of sisters. Faith and hope, the two older sisters who get everybody's attention. Faith and hope, the ones that everybody knows. And he has this marvelous example of the three sisters are walking. The two big sisters and little hope in the middle. And everybody's eyes are on faith and hope and he sa- uh, faith and love. And he says, but it's little hope that moves the other two forward and nobody notices. Little hope, the little girl of the three virtues, but the one who most desires to move forward. It's a remarkable image, and there's something of that in what St. Paul is putting before us. One can make a real case that religion consists of two basic movements, struggle and hope. And the enemy of real religion is more of the same. Let's not make waves, let's not change anything. It's okay just the way it is. If we try, we'll just make everything worse, so don't do anything. And note that that passivity enslaves us. It's the passivity of one who will not risk looking forward and will not risk struggling to make a change. However, struggle without hope is just painful endurance. Struggle without hope is working without any direction, any goal, any fulfillment, any real meaning. And all too many of us in this world live that way. We struggle, we fight, we try but with so little hope within us. Hope is what lifts our eyes out of more of the same, toward what they could be, toward what the Lord has promised for us. Hope is what reminds us that a promise was made and that we have a destiny beyond this earth and beyond this world. And when we remember that, it is the spur that says that maybe I should step in that direction and struggle to keep moving forward. And suddenly struggle has meaning. Suddenly struggle is not mere endurance, but faithfulness in the movement toward the goal. And there's a certain joyfulness even in the struggle because one is looking forward to something. In our case, one is looking forward to someone and how marvelous that is. But it's also important to recognize that we live in a world of struggle and hope that has no struggle connected to it is daydreaming, it's pious fantasy. It's simply consoling ourselves with nice ideas that make no real difference in our lives. And there are many who will paint their visions of how things could be and they're content to look at the painting and never move toward it. And so note, struggle is also what makes hope concrete. Real hope involves a real effort to move out of and away from the chains of more of the same. More of this corruption to which we are enslaved, the undoing of everything the lack of permanence, the lack of value. And yet we pass through this world that passes away. But when we move with hopefulness, faithfully in the direction of eternity, curiously, St. Paul says, mysteriously, the Lord makes sure that the world we live in comes with us. What a great thing that is. What a remarkable mystery, difficult to understand and yet important to acknowledge. And so now we turn to the gospel reading and note now the similarity of what Jesus says about the yeast and the mustard seed to Charles Peggy's little girl of the virtues, little hope that moves everything forward. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that a man has planted in a garden. It's tiny, it's beneath one's notice. And yet out of that tiny beginning, quietly, there is growth. And suddenly in that growth there is abundance. From the little seed, the great bush emerges and it shelters everything. From a little hope, a great movement forward can begin. And the Lord longs, as St. Paul says, to sow that mustard seed of hope, that little seed, in the Christian heart. It's small. It doesn't get the attention of its big sisters, faith and love. And yet when that little seed begins to grow, that seed of hope, life suddenly discovers direction. Faith begins to move love begins to look forward and suddenly there is fruitfulness and there is an abundance out of all proportion to the size of the seed that was planted. How absolutely remarkable. From this tiny seed planted in the garden of the heart can come forth such greatness. And that tree of hope, that hope in the kingdom, hope for the kingdom, Moving toward the kingdom is what begins to shelter all of the other aspects of our lives. My struggle to be a good husband, a faithful wife. My struggle to raise my children and work hard. My struggle to grow in virtue is sheltered underneath the limbs of that great tree of hope. Which anchors them, which grounds them, which structures them, and which keeps them safe. Everything must happen still, but note the difference. Rather than being burned by the blazing sun of futility, I can stand under the shade of hope, catch my breath, and move forward again. And so he says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman kneaded into a batch of dough, and the yeast is small. And when it's kneaded into the dough, it is invisible. It can't be seen. One can't take a a look at a pile of dough that has yeast in it and tell it apart from a pile of dough that doesn't initially. They look the same. The difference is, as the yeast becomes active, the dough begins to expand. That small bit of yeast produces a great effect, a remarkable increase, again, out of all proportion to its initial size. And there is an expansiveness and a lightness about the bread that is produced. And note how wonderful that is. And the Lord saying, in a sense, in a sense, like yeast kneaded into into the bread of this world, into the dough of this world, are you and me. The Christian heart, kneaded into the very fabric of the world, not just human society, but the world itself. And why? Because as that yeast becomes active, as that Christian life in hope begins to look and move forward, there comes a marvelous expansiveness of living for the individual believer and for those whom the believer is in contact, but also in some mysterious way for the world itself. This is why St. Paul says all creation is groaning, longing, because deep within creation itself is that fundamental relationship it has to man and that the fall of creation has happened because of man And the restoration of creation happens in and through the restoration of man. How marvelous it is to recognize that. How important it is to recognize that, especially here where in just a few moments we'll have something very small on this altar, which will be the presence of the Lord. And the consecrated host is such a small thing. And yet within that small thing is the infinity of the person of Jesus Christ. And we'll come forward. And we'll stretch out our hands. And for just a few seconds, we will hold infinity in our palms in holding the Lord there. And then we receive him. And amazingly, amazingly, Within that little garden of our heart is that little bit of bread, the seed of eternity, the touch of infinity, enclosed in the tiny spaces of our lives. And in some small way, we ourselves in those moments participate in something that the church has long loved to say about Our Lady. In celebrating her who enclosed in her womb the God who is vaster than the heavens, the church gave her the beautiful title, O you who are more spacious than the heavens, wider than the universe, vaster than all of creation. You, little Mary, vaster than the universe itself because you contain within you the God that heaven itself can't enclose. And in just a few minutes, remarkably, we can say that about ourselves. How easy it is to miss that. How easy it is to overlook that. And so once again, this is why St. Paul, the Lord, and Mr. Peggy remind us of little hope which opens our eyes to such a wondrous thing and spurs us to truly look forward to move with it. Amen.